Hello and welcome to a series of podcasts in which we discuss everything early childhood from a point of wonder, curiosity and inquiry. Everything that matters for a child's future success is shaped by their early experiences. These podcasts will guide you through how you, as a teacher, can make those experiences matter. We explore the processes that have guided educators in understanding children's needs and provide real-world examples of educators who are empowering children to be an active participant in shaping their own future outcomes. My name is Tony Byrne and today I'll be talking with Georgia Cleanthus and Patricia Lamboa from Dripstone Children's Centre located on beautiful Larrakee country in the top end of Australia. Our conversation today focuses on how the team of educators are responding to and supporting children's social, emotional development and well-being. Welcome, Georgia and Patricia. Hello. Hi. <laughs> I'm really curious about your practice at Dripstone Children's Centre, but to get us started today, um, I want to know more about each of you. So let's start with you, Georgia. Tell me all about you. Where did you grow up? I'm born and raised in Darwin and just left for four years to get my teaching degree down in the University of Wollongong. I grew up on a farm. My dad was a turf farmer, so we just had a big lot of property and coconut trees and rosellas and banana trees. So quite often my mum would just kick me and my siblings out of the house and we just had to forage for food so we had coconuts and rosellas and bananas to eat and we were allowed pocket knives from a young age and to climb the big mahogany trees so we had a lot of freedom without we had the neighborhood kids down the road as well where we'd all just go riding down to the drains and the the lagoon Mm. (laughs) Patricia I'm I'm curious tell me about you hi I'm Patricia um I am from Papua New Guinea. Um, I grew up in the mountains, so I basically was living the best life. <laughs> um, I grew up with seven sisters, mm. so I have lots of friends to play with when I was to, when I was very young. So um, we, um, I grew up in such a um, great community community um, where I was able to do so much things like climbing trees, playing in the mud, um, cooking in the mud, um, be outside all day, in the, um, playing in the water. So um, when I was a child, I just didn't want to go in the house to go where my parents were. And I wanted to be by myself, doing what I want to do, mm. be in the mud all day, cooking, all those little fun things. And I'm great to see that happening where I'm working. And that's the most so, important so thing. So tell me then, tell me yeah. a little bit, because so thank you for sharing about that. But I can actually <laughs> see now why you two work well together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you've got this love of being outside. You've yeah. been... You know, you've 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 grown up in it. It's been your life. It's part mm. of who you are. So tell me about now, Dripstone. What's Dripstone about? <laughs> so Dripstone is a seventy-two place community centre, non-for-profit. Um, we are located in Brinken in Darwin, mm-hmm. one of the suburbs in Darwin, close to the beach, and close to city. Yeah, the uni. <laughs> very close to us here. Yeah, and. We just empower children through nature play. Tell us about the outdoor area in terms of your nature play. Oh, it's fun. 
It's, very fun. <laughs> it's all garden, different levels Levels. for the children to climb, climb on, lots of trees to climb up, lots of water play. Yeah, water you should play. see our water bill. Huge <laughs> <laughs> water bill. Um, yeah, yeah and lots of um, spaces where ki- um, children, lots of shades, lots of trees. Your chickens. Yeah, um, chickens, bunnies. <laughs> yeah, lots of, lots of. Um, yeah. interesting um, spaces. <laughs> so I can see, I can see how um, your early experiences, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. have informed. Um, where we work. <laughs> where you work and why you do what you do. Yeah. And and as we go through our, um, our conversation today, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're going to see real presence of both of you in yeah. terms of your approach to p- pedagogy as well as what you've learned along the way through your you know your, your yeah. teacher development absolutely yeah. the dripstone way is just not just us but our mentorship team and the children yeah. and the center it's just an essence of us yeah. in the dripstone way the feedback we've gotten from parents yeah is that they're very happy that children are able to have those experiences they did as a kid Mm. and are able to go to a centre where they can run free and climb trees because some are in apartments and they don't have backyards Mm. or those experiences. Mm. And also parents love it when they come pick up the child at the end of the day all covered in mud, all covered in pain. They love it. They're like, "Oh, you've been you had a ve- you had the best day today." Yeah. It's like they love it when the child is like all covered in mud, mud, pain, slime, anything. So yeah, <laughs> it's been a busy day full of play, and I think what you're really saying there is um how we almost measure um, you know, children's engagement in their own childhood and that is by being actively immersed in mm-hmm. play and at dripstone what that looks like is is lots of opportunities to engage in nature play yeah. which yeah. involves this wonderful beautiful aesthetically um big outdoor environment that has chickens and vegetable gardens and different levels and trees <laughs> um as well as um opportunities to explore outside the gates, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and going down to beautiful Casarina Beach beyond the boundary, um, <laughs> yeah. and ex- yeah, going beyond the, the boundary, boundary and, and taking children outside. So when you talk, because what I'm really interested to know about is when you speak about flipping that traditional child uh, children's um, experience on its head. Mm-hmm. What did you do that was a big flip from what we might think would be traditional? Um, I think the really big main thing that um, Dripstone was focusing on is having seeing a brighter vision and brighter future of the children and yeah you know empowering them. them and like getting um having that um you know giving them that green light that they are capable risk takers they the biggest thing that we have changed as well is mm not caging children by ages. Like you're one, you have to stay with the rest of the one-year-olds. You're three, you can't visit your sibling who's crying and upset. Mm. So we've created spaces for children to go to rather than caging them in one space. So we have like an artillery space, a sensory room, construction loose parts, dramatic play space, a big Mm. book nook library, relaxation area. And the children are free to go where their needs are met. And with the educators they attune to most, 
and just seeing children as capable in their decisions like as adults we make decisions based on who we like or who we want to spend our time with Mm. so honoring children's own ideas and thoughts and feelings to then let them go where their needs are met with who they're attuned to. So what I'm really interested now is when you've talked about flipping things and changing things. So I understand that um, at Dripstone, um, the children aren't grouped according to age. So normally what we see in in early childhood settings is that you'll have the birth to two-year-old room, the two to three-year-old room and the three to five-year-old room. Mm -hmm. And at Dripstone, you've completely changed that. So you've got an integrated um, mixed group. Yeah, integrated ages. Yep. We don't have gates or closed doors in the internal dripstone boundary we've just got that Mm. external boundary fence and then all is open for the children to move freely so I know that you just didn't wake up one day and go (laughs) we're going to change this so what I'm interested to know was what happened take me right through from the beginning Um, there's a story of change here and that's the story that that um, that I want to hear today yeah so take me from the beginning let's go okay (laughs) so it was around the beginning of 2020, conversations arised in 2019. So right as COVID was about to hit, the mentorship team at Dripstone started questioning, what are we doing? Like we know our why, um, which is the children. That's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. But how can we solidify that and everything we do surround the children? Because a lot of what we do, for example, grouping mm-hmm. children by age mm-hmm. or in a lot of other centres, they do family grouping, but that's mm. really to benefit the adult before the rest mm. of the staffing come mm-hmm. in or at the end of the day to let mm. staff go home mm. and then we count under So you mean roof. like when yeah. in the mornings when you you see family grouping yeah. because mm. you're waiting for, for shifts to start? Yeah. 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 What was happening for the children? At the beginning? Yeah, in the beginning. So we were just seeing a lot of yeah. um, unregulated children <laughs> at drop-offs. Um, and we tend to um, have siblings that are dropped off together mm-hmm. and then the other siblings are like, um, the smaller one is crying because the, um, the older one is separated for the younger mm-hmm. one. And it just didn't and make it, sense. Yeah, it just didn't like sit right. Like um, if we want to have a good day, we don't want to be crying in the morning because then the whole day is not going to go well for us. So to create that kind of space that... They can go to the sibling. They can be with the sibling, um, and go you know away, yeah. that. Keep we that. just wanted to have in mind. So, the question: Children at the center of everything we do. Mm. What does that look like in throughout the whole day, and also <laughs> looking at their individual rhythm and if that's going to start off when they're unregulated and mm. they're really upset because they've been torn away from family oh, members yeah. or things like that. It's obviously going to set them up for... Yeah. And for uh, some children, it yeah. sounds like, you know, not only was it a separation from, from my my parents, my mum or my dad or, or my carer, whoever that might be in the family, um, but it also meant that I also had to have this additional separation from mm. another attachment figure, and that was my sibling. Yeah. Yeah. Too often That's... some educators that aren't even attuned to them. So it's like yeah. you're stuck in a room. Say as an adult, mm. you're with people you just mm. don't connect with mm. and you there for the whole day and you you as a person can't do anything. Like that breaks our heart and we were really 
wanted to think, so we went from why, what, and how. We drew out the circles from Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The why is the children, the what, and we really clarified what we wanted for children. We wanted their freedom, autonomy. We wanted to empower them. Mm-hmm. We wanted them to have flow for them to be honoured in where they're at right now, not preparing them always for the future, but right now where they're at. And then the how, and as a team, service and society, because this is a massive change, having integrated Mm. ages and spaces, Mm. everyone gets into that scarcity mindset and the fear of the unknown and the chaos that's about to arise. So we really, cool, this is how we're going to do it. And... Of course, the first thing is the benefit-risk assessment. So the benefits always outweigh the risk in our mind. So having that done for families to review. So tell me, what was the... um what did you see were, were the benefits for the children? So you had a vision, didn't you? <laughs> yes. Let's remove yeah. all the fences because they're, you know, and, and, and for most people listening to us um, talking today with each other yeah. is that for some educators, they're working in settings where there's not only the boundary fence, but there's all these little fences inside. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. and you've removed all of that. So what was, what did you, in terms of, your, you know, your vision and, and when you were going through this process, what was the benefits? What did you think was going to happen? I think um, from, again, those risk benefits have to come in so that we know um, that parents and, you know, A&R, they all know <laughs> about, like, um, the QECNT. risk. The, yeah, why why is it important to do um, tree climbing? Yeah. Um, what are the benefits? What are the... So yeah. the benefits of all of it is, like, zone of proximal development, like children learning off each other regulating themselves with the educators they're attuned to Mm -hmm. and their peers and siblings. Um, Having that trust to go where your needs are met. Like if you love art, but we only do it once a day and then it's cleaned up. Like you can't Mm. even stay there for as long as you want because the rooms are usually the art table is sometimes used for the lunch table and you have to remove it all. But having those spaces, children are able to have that freedom to be there for as long as they need to really delve deep into their play. And that's something we were honouring as well. So that's another benefit. And just everything that has come with it as well, we're able to delve deeper into it. Like because we have now an eatery or the children call it a basil and banana room and there's beautiful long wooden tables and Mm. children come when they're ready to eat and there's always food there when they come into it and then they can go and go back and play right. and they have that freedom and autonomy to really listen to their own body and their individual rhythm what do I need right now mm-hmm. and we obviously prompt them from a young age um a flow and of space yeah so. and we do have that code of conduct mm. like we do need to take care of them, <laughs> that duty of care to children yes so we don't just leave them to be yes. and like just remove ourselves but we do have that we create um give them options you know, oh, um, if you don't want to be, you want you don't want to eat inside. Maybe let's go eat outside. Yeah, yeah, that's where you wanted to be. Maybe, and um, I've seen a lot of kids just agreeing about eating outside. And if they want to eat inside, perfect, great. But if you want to um eat outside and because you you just want to be outside, great, let's go eat outside. So just that option and just respecting them and giving them that opportunities that they can. Um, they voice. can, yeah, they're hearing the voice. and So what I'm hearing you saying in, in all that you're talking about now is is, is offering children choice, um, 
being aware that there's still a need because I think when you were talking mm-hmm. there, there was this kind of notion that this is not a free for all. I don't want to no. kind of put it out there that we let children, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's a collaboration <laughs> with the children, but it is very child-led. And I want to talk a little bit more about children's autonomy because that's what I'm hearing. Yeah. You know, it's about um, in terms of supporting children to have a strong sense of autonomy, you know, yeah, the choices probably. that they make, um, becoming independent um, and having educators who are able to support them to make choices. So yeah. how do you make that work in terms of, because I'm still thinking about you've got at Dripstone, the age groups, mm-hmm. how old are the children when they start? Mm-hmm. Their youngest we've probably had a six months. Mm-hmm. And because parents come into it and we do wait list tours and we use the language of we mm-hmm. don't cage children by ages, they're integrated ages. We do a tune like we are very transparent and congruent with our values. Um, so parents are really on board with it when they enroll their children. They know, mm-hmm. cool, my child's going to have an alternative experience in early childhood. And some of them love it because we do, we see it as like a natural rhythm. Never, <laughs> usually. <laughs> Um, is a parent left alone with 13 two-year-olds. Like, that's just not natural to have. Mm-hmm. It's usually your siblings of different ages, your cousins, the neighbourhood kids. We're all different ages learning off each other. Um, Which are very, yeah. very, um, you know, in terms of theoretical perspectives, you know, it's a very Vygotsky approach, yeah. isn't it? And, yeah. and yeah. you know, that supports and understands that, that children learn from a more knowledgeable other. Yeah. yeah. So Absolutely. so the picture I'm getting in my mind is that for our for the, the smallest, the youngest children, the infants and the toddlers that are they're coming to your setting, um, are well supported and and they have opportunities mm-hmm. to engage not just with their their carers, um, but also the children, which could be their siblings um, yeah. Their siblings, yeah. friends as well. Yeah. So if they're four-year-olds, <laughs> that the four-year-olds have friends. Yeah. So in terms of the very young children's autonomy, then how are you how are you attuning into supporting um, the youngest children? So we see children as having a hundred languages, mm-hmm. and we really work on our attunement to those children and the communication between parents. And we document it all in their journey of me books, like their portfolios, I Mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. You'll come to know that Dripstone has its own Mm -hmm. (laughs) vocabulary in itself. (laughs) So our journey of me books document all things about that child, their individual rhythm, what... Attuning to those younger ones, so the biter. And this was a story about a child named Rune, my love child <laughs> he was seen as the biter the challenging children and you guys listening you can't see me throw up my quotations because we don't see children as being challenging or behavior as a form of communication and it's up to us to sort of support them to meet those needs so he was the biter little did everyone know he just needed to be outdoors more often and because he was of that age where they are inside a bit more he was 16 mm. months he came out, he started running with the four-year-olds, climbing trees with the four-year-olds because he was more physically advanced than his language. His la- language mm-hmm. came later on. Yeah. So he tried to bite a four-year-old once. They pushed him down, never bit again. And that no other 16-year-old is going to push someone away. They'll probably get bitten first. But having that 
ability for him to learn off the older kids and be like, oh, that's not acceptable or I'm going to get hurt if I try and bite. Or there wasn't even a need to bite because he was outside where his needs were met. Mm. Like he Mm. was getting all of that Mm. vestibular senses, interoception, all of those senses met. So there was no need to lash out or try and communicate something or get frustrated in a room. Like you said, when we think about young children and we think about the many different ways that they communicate with us, um, quite often, and, and like you said, and I'm certainly a... A, a big advocate that all communication or all behaviour is communication. You know, children communicate to us through their behaviour and, and often yes. biting is one of those things. Yeah. So for this child, what you were seeing is when he was... Frustration. You know, in those kind of structured ways that we, you know, it's indoor time and we, yeah. we stay in this space and his opportunities to be around, you know, children of his, of his same age group... Um, but once he was provided with, you know, a sense of autonomy that he could make a decision, yeah. even at 16 months old, about where he wanted to go and what it, what he wanted to do. So he was making choices about his own learning. And I want to learn from being outside. Yeah. Um, I think you're really attuned to his need to be quite physically active. Yeah. And the challenge for him in terms of when you think about, when I think about social-emotional development around self-esteem and... and, and um, and feeling good about myself, my self-concept that I can do that. Mm. And the risk-taking of going running at 16 months and climbing trees with four-year-old boys. Um, yep. And in that natural way, he was able to... to. So what, 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 in terms of the biting stopped, but what else did you see happen? What were the benefits for him? What else started to, he thrived to change? And yeah. his language came along a few mm. months after as well. Yeah. Those older boys, they were obviously... With anything, you change your behaviour to who you're around. Mm. So those older kids took mm. on more a nurturing role but also an empowering role because they're like, come on, room, put your leg here on this branch and come climb this. Um, so you had a sense of what I'm thinking then when you said that, Georgia, was I was just thinking that sense of belonging. What I was seeing in my mind, there was a group of children that were connecting and, and it wasn't about you're too little, you can't. No. Be part of the thing <laughs> like that. So one thing going back on what you were saying before around attuning to the children and the need for physical activity. A lot of the times the staffing as well in other centres, you don't have that extra staff to be like, cool, you can come outside with the big kids. You're like, mm. no, we have to stay in with this group. Mm. This is where we all are. But because we are integrated ages and we are outdoor, like flow space, they can go indoor, outdoor. A lot of them are outdoor most of the time anyway, which has all its own benefits for nature play. Mm. Um, That's a significant thing that we saw, that that we just have the freedom as adults to move with the children. And I can see he's frustrated being inside and he's showing us that, but I can't leave because of ratio Mm -hmm. or the structure Mm -hmm. of the centre. But the way we are set up, it was we have the ability to advocate for those children and do what we know is right because a lot of the time you're just shut down. Yeah. And it's really sad to see. Um, the it's, second yeah, thing. Yeah, it's like um, if someone um, is like, example, Ruin, um, playing and not worrying about anything is going to come. So like honouring all children. And what, yeah. Because sometimes we always worry about that child or those other kids are missing out, but they're actually not the ones that need have a need that needs to be met 
So moving him out actually meets their needs because then they can now freely move around the space that they want to be in and he gets his needs met outside. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what was happening at the beginning as well. So let's talk about, because when we make big changes and um, to to, uh, our practice, and like you said, it comes with challenges and some of those challenges were, um, you know, how we're all going to ensure that you were meeting some of those requirements and there's a need to ensure that children are supervised, that there's somebody there that's engaging and understands what children need. Um, And when you've got this sort of moving and and responding, because to respond to children's social emotional needs, um, it does require us, you know, to to follow their lead. So how did you manage the, the challenges around staffing? Because you're a big team. How many are... When I'm there, it's like there's so many people there. But just we, um, during one day, you know, the core <laughs> staff on the floor is... Yeah. We have like, like six, 16 a day. We have yeah. Yeah, a fair that's... few lunch covers because we know that you need more lunch covers to continue that flow and meet those children's needs. Because we're more focused on quality education and care rather than this is... You only needed 12 for this ratio, so that's all you get. Mm -hmm. There's always extras. There's always the three of us in the office that can be pulled at any time when the team need extra support. We have the mentors. We have people on programming and then doing our extracurricular stuff and our mentors. The biggest thing at the beginning would be the challenges, and I wouldn't even say it was challenges. It was just getting everyone, cool, what are your perceptions on having an integrated centre? It was more about finding, so we big on the whole brain child. And within that, Dan Siegel talks about like the, a river, if you can picture a river Mm -hmm. and having that be the flow. Like that's where we want to be on one bank is chaos and the other bank is rigidity. And we didn't want to go to rigidity. That's what we're trying to escape from all those rooms. And you didn't want to go to chaos where they just run around, no one's fed. They're just doing whatever they like. Mm. To stay in that flow, you really needed, we've created routine rituals and Mm. they're the things that we follow. And those things are taken slowly and done respectfully and honour the children and their play as well because that's so important. So if they're in the middle of something, we're given the option to like, all right, I'm going to come back in five minutes when you're ready to change your nappy. Or coming up to them to their face instead of behind them and checking their nappy because a lot of people just go up behind them. And Mm. if I did that to you, you would not be Mm. happy with me and you would run away from me Mm. and probably do something Mm. else. So just treating children like adults as well, having that mindset. but respect. Yeah, respect. respect. Mm. Um, But with the perceptions of the team, it was more they were more worried about the regulations or the red tape. And so mm-hmm. once we started pulling things apart and saying, well, there's actually not a regulation around risky play, but we do need to have benefit risk assessments to back ourselves up that we just ha- aren't letting children climb trees and there's nothing in place. So we do have like the shared understandings with children, um, like don't climb on branches bigger than your mm-hmm. own leg, don't pick up rocks bigger than your own foot. When you're doing rough and tumble play, everyone needs to sort of be smiling or 
gist of yeah. that. As soon as someone gets angry, you know it's on. <laughs> so it's, And we kind of redirect them to do yeah. it on trampoline so it's a bit more fun. So there's a bit of, you know, in terms of, again, like Trust. thinking about children's, um, you know, social-emotional well-being, it's around you know, teaching children or guiding children to understand the cues of their peers. Yep. Yeah. So to understand that when somebody is, if we're, if we're having some, you know, rough and tumble type play, then the, the understanding, if everyone's smiling, then, then the children understand that, that they can continue. And, yeah. but if someone's, you know, starts to get angry, then it's a cue to stop. And that's yeah. a cue for the educators as well. Yeah. So tell me about, just let's go into that a little bit because yeah. I'm always interested around how we, um, I'm not a big fan of ever calling it managing children's behaviour. No. I think the, the the notion for me is how we, we work with children, we engage with children around mm. guiding them um, to be able to manage their own behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, in this, you know, this kind of philosophy that you're working in, um, and encouraging children, trusting children to take risks, um, to have autonomy, to make decisions about their own learning. How do you then guide some of those more challenging times? Let's use the wrestling. You know, we're having a rough <laughs> yeah. and tumble. Someone's yeah. becoming. We um, have the three agreements yeah, as three well. Agreements. You're safe. Your friends are safe, and the environment's safe. safe. Yep. The children know those ones. And, like, obviously the shared understandings have come after that. So we have a shared understanding, and that was developed probably yeah. six months into it that don't climb on branches yeah. thicker than – that's not thicker than your own leg because we've seen someone break a branch. Mm-hmm. Or we've had a child split their yeah. toe, so we now know. Like, it's – you start to learn things as you go. Like, it's never – we've decided to do this, and it's been perfect. It's all trial and error throughout our whole – transition and we're still growing as well this will be forever growing but that's the beauty of the dripstone way as well it's an evolution so really what you're talking about here and 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 i have seen this when i've been um up at the the center um that really deep attunement to individual children so picking up on like knowing who they are knowing their personality you know when when we think about children's Mm -hmm. temperament you know and and there are various dif- different sorts of temperament traits in children. So, you know, you've got the children who really prefer to, to come in early in the morning and slow into um, activities. You know, they might be more attuned to the quieter yeah. type activities. And then you've got, which I always call the children who are first on the dance floor, <laughs> like I'm here, everyone, let's get into it. Um, and one of the things I saw when I was at the up at Dripstone the other week was... Um, you know, children who are always aware of new people, you know, and this little boy and he, he, you know, as friendly as I like to think that I am, I was a stranger and he just, he saw me and, and I could, you know, I was, I was aware of, of, of how he was responding to me and he just came up and he just slipped his hand into Georgia's hand, uh, hand and of course Georgia was completely responsive and, but you understood him. And the need right now that somebody's in the environment that I'm not used to, I have an emotional need. And, you know, we could all interpret that for him that, you know, wasn't feeling really sure, perhaps a little bit unsafe, this is strange. But it's also how the educators are attuning to the sorts of things, Patricia, that you were talking about, the need to express my feelings yeah, in a, in a way that's acceptable and not... Um, it's not harmful to others, but when I say acceptable, 
It's not like we're ignoring their needs. It's not like we're ignoring their needs. It's like we really want to know your need. Come and show us what we can do to know um to know the, your needs. Like it's not just ignoring it. It's actually mm. um making it a priority and that um we need to um just know how we can work around that and that we can help you as a child. How can we help you meet your needs? Basically like if we go back to the staffing again in terms of how you organize um, as children are moving around and you're following their lead, is there any type of, um, I guess, structure around what educators are attuned to what children? In, mm-hmm. And I'm, I've heard of, you know, there's a few different approaches out there, like the key educator mm, yeah, approach. Yeah, primary caregiver. Yeah. Primary caregivers. Not really. Like, as I said before, as adults, we're attuned to certain people and they're our friends and mm, loved yeah. ones. Same with children. They're going to pick out the people and I'll touch on it later, but we do use the Phoenix Cups and usually children mm. are drawn to the pe- uh, the adults that have that same cup. That's their sort of one that's empty. So they know that they can go to Patricia for fun, energetic activities, but mm. then they go to another mm. educator when they're tuned in their circle of security um, is smaller and they need that one-on-one connection and they're more calming presence where Patricia's just ready to rumble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it's they interesting, go, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, like um, the the children, they clearly will like go, like they go up to uh, educators they're more comfortable with and it's really good to see that because they don't have to be there in their own world lost, like Where's who am I going to go to to get help, you know? They've already created their... Um, a good um, attuned to a certain educators that whenever they go through a time, they know who to go to. So who's going to meet their needs? And um, yeah, that's very important too for the children. Whereas reverse, if it was these are your set educators and you wouldn't feel comfortable with the preschool teachers or the ch- the teachers in the other room, but now they have relationship with a whole diverse group of adults that can support them with different needs and they know that certain educators are taking them to the beach. They're the key educators that go to the beach with them, so they're very excited. Like if I come out, they know that something's going to happen because I'm usually out yeah. there to go on the excursions with them. The tradies are there to do some work and yeah. they get to engage with the tradies and things like that. So there's different... Um, space, yeah. the different educators for different um, things. But we turn to help each other, educators. So we won't just sit there and go, um, Rune, you go to Georgia because that's, um, that's your attuned educator right there. No, um, we, um, we just, um, we go, okay, Georgia, how, what can I do with Rune? Like, what does he like? Mm. How can I help him? Can you give me some tips yeah, how to do it sharing our knowledge together so then um when george is not there i know what to do from theoretical perspectives um you know there's these these notions around um goodness for fit and they're those sort of social emotional mm-hmm. theories um that you know people of similar um temperament traits and you've said that yeah. like i like to because that's how, how I've grown up, you know, yeah. having freedom to explore yeah. nature, my environment, trees, climbing. Children will connect with you because they have similar interests. Mm. But then 
what I'm also hearing in terms of what I'm considering now as intentional teaching is the sharing of knowledge. Yes. So that you seek to understand yeah. who this child is. Yeah. So we even have one staff and she's confident with the kids climbing trees up to a certain height because she is shorter and then mm-hmm. she'll swap in with a taller educator. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's keen on it and she's really supportive and empowering children and she sees all the benefits but to the stage where she feels safe. Like she, if she can't reach them in the tree, she's like, okay, cool, I'm stepping out. And same with another educator, one of our mentors, she grew up in Taiwan and you are not allowed to climb trees and yeah. it's seen completely different. Yeah. So mm. we got her up a tree so she can then <laughs> mentor the children on how to climb a tree. So there's been a lot of um, learning curves throughout this so really what Transformation. you're doing, Georgia, <clears throat> is not only you're attuning to the children's social-emotional needs, but you're also attuning <laughs> to your team of educators yeah. in terms of really understanding who they yeah. are yeah. And, and, and how they, you know, their, their, their need to also belong, yeah. uh, to feel respected for, for who they are. Yes. Yeah, um, and what they're comfortable with and empowering them to, oh, it's okay that you don't feel safe, but you still have the knowledge to support what mm. you're empowering as well. Mm. And with that, the children, we are attuned to who are the most confident climbers and we don't necessarily have to be shadowing them underneath because they're up there reading books and they're up there hanging out and they don't want the adults just hanging around their cool yeah. conversations. But then we know the children that are at the bottom of the tree, they're learning. So then we gravitate to those children to support them. And we never put children where they can't get themselves. Mm. But we do say, put your foot here and here. And like, especially down on the cliff rocks at the beach, at Casuarina Beach, the children are really learning the different um, heights and levels that they have to climb. And the cracks and where their feet go and things like that. So So what are you seeing in terms of um, children's... Because um, a lot of what you're talking about is is promoting risk risk taking mm. play and and behaviour mm. and and we know that that's something that we're all very interested in. I guess the connection for me is around what is what are the those opportunities and what you're seeing in children. What are you seeing in terms of their, you know, how they feel about themselves as learners, as being confident learners. You know, are you seeing changes in children, say, from coming in and not feeling too confident to take a risk but with the being attuned and supporting and guiding and and you know not jumping like you said not doing not getting yourself into a place that you couldn't have got there yourself yeah yeah which is scary isn't it yeah Yeah. and then they I guess throughout everything that we do and we put in place it's all just trial and error for them and they they don't see failure as failure it's oh cool I have another way or I have this more data to collect that now if I do climb this I get stuck yeah. that way, but I can climb a different way or adjust. Yeah, there's like some. Um, there's a child um, who doesn't like sensory play at all. Like, it won't do any sensory play. Won't go touch the slime, the mud. But now loves it. Like loves touching, um, doing slime, all that. So like you can see like the the growth of 
them being confident to you know it's like to do slime like they don't like no one messy on their clothes they want to be clean but now they're just like all covered up in paint and slime so that's <laughs> actually I'm it's just, really hard for people who are listening to us because you can't see Patricia's face right here because <laughs> the thing that makes it really hard when we talk about this and feelings is to capture what it what it feels like to see a child yeah. who's come in unsure, mm. perhaps not have had experience mm-hmm. in messy play, and that can be for lots of different reasons. But to have this opportunity to take on a new task, to take a risk, to, yeah. to take steps towards achieving a goal. And if you could see Patricia, what she's mm-hmm. doing is she's she's immersed in great big smiles and she's <laughs> wriggling because she's trying to really articulate that feeling, yeah. isn't it? The feeling yeah. of seeing a child... Um, flourish yeah and as an educator you're like what (laughs) wow like you you are shocked to see the child in there with everyone and you know make and getting their clothes dirty and all that it's like then it's sort of like oh I'm allowed to do this and I'm empowered to Mm -hmm. explore and I'll just read you something from one of our tools that we use because we support the unapologetic child Mm -hmm. We give the power back to children to experience their entire world, their interests, their emotions, their instincts and their relationships, all without adult biases. Children are here to wonder, feel and be in awe of their surroundings. We don't need to teach children how to do things and use things. They are naturally inclined to figure that out. We need to nourish their unapologetic selves. Mm. which sums that up really nicely. I'm going to have to really spend some time yeah. thinking quite deeply about all the parts of that. Yeah. It? Because yeah. it is it is that, isn't it? And when we think about shifting, you know, if we were to kind of come back to right to the beginning mm. and I'm going to do a full circle on it because what I want to know now is, um, you know, you've taken this, you've, you've really been attuned to children and the reason I wanted to talk about this was because of, you know, mm. the attunement to children in terms of their social emotional well-being yeah you know coming in and we use this language so sort of broadly don't we but that sense of belonging and and being but what that really looks like and how that's enacted in practice in our early childhood settings so children coming in feeling um, upset being separated to to really thinking deeply about this is not working for us mm-hmm. and we're going to explore different ways of doing this and obviously having um, and you know for those people who might not be um, in Darwin with us you mm-hmm. have the benefits of a climate up here yep. because mm-hmm. it never gets cold no. um, so we never want to go inside <laughs> we're outside a yep. lot so yep. the freedom to be outside a lot for children is outdoor in all weather outdoors <laughs> in all weather up here. Um, so you've had that. So take me back to the beginning again. What is it like when children arrive now? They are regulated. They have their yes. attuned educators. They can be dropped off in the Basil and Banana Room, which is the eatery with the chef because she obviously has food ready for them. They can go outside. There's usually water, sand activities yeah. set up. Um, and also, like, um, some children have routine with mom and dad mm. mom and dad so um when um a parent a child loves when um parents go and drive past so they go run to the fence and they wait there until mom and dad drives off and then they're like okay happy let's go and play now like yeah. they mm. just need to see that that's important yeah, yeah that's a very important part of the day seeing mom and dad drove off and like Honk Give their horn, honk horn from uh, for them. So that's the important part. As soon as mom and dad do that, they're 
they're happily running away, playing. And, yeah, that's, like, important things. Like going to see the chickens in the morning, bringing the bunny out. We have our rituals for individual children. And the team are all aware of them. And there's very clear communication between the team on this child's yeah. Father's gone away in the army for a while now, so these are the things that need to be happening in the morning. So yeah, or you see a family comes like, yep, the boys are ready for eggs, chicken eggs in the morning. So yeah, we go and look for um, they go straight away and wait there at the chicken, and I go and open the gate and they go look for eggs. Just what I really liked about that then that it wasn't you know rituals for, you know the same ritual for everybody. No, it's no. these individual yeah. rituals for children of what works for them. Yeah. Yep. So for those children who I know, because we know, like when, when we think about, um, you know, what we know helps children to feel safe and secure, um, predictable routines. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and these rituals have replaced this, this notion of mm-hmm. having a routine that we the follow because it keeps it safe. <laughs> yeah. But what you've created is a sense of having individual rituals, things that you know, and, and you gave that example. So when I come in in the morning, um, part of my ritual, which helps me to, to transition in, is to, to wave bye-bye, see the car go, and then let's go collect the eggs this morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when you walk in in the mornings or any time of the day, there's so much rich learning going on. There's the attunement and connections mm. happening with the educators. And children are either learning and in groups together and ch- the adults role in all of this is to not interrupt to step back if the children are engaging with them of course we're down at their level engaging but a lot of the time it's the supervision at a distance we're aware of everything mm. that's going on and the children mm. that are here today but it's not we're on top of children and being that helicopter parent I guess or adult or just tr- controlling the situation we can guide at a distance or just facilitate like if we're they're talking about dinosaurs we might just put some dinosaurs in the sand pit but not interrupt like their role play or their engaging the two down one approach so out of three educators and we obviously have like 16 on a mm-hmm. like minimum educators a day so two are down with the children engaging or supervising at a distance like with the children and one doing a routine ritual which is still with the children but focusing on nappy time sleep meal times applying sunscreen and giving the the water bottles so let's go a little bit a little bit more of a a chat about the rituals because we've talked about those morning rituals and as Mm -hmm. we know as we move through the day um, children need to eat they get hungry yeah they get tired so how in in your uh, integrated approach um, how do you accommodate for those additional rituals we have um so our rituals of um are very flow so we don't have a time limit for our rituals it's a flow throughout the day so um in the morning when um morning tea nappies are done and then it's morning tea time and it can go up to like from 9 9:30 and it can go up to like 10:30 If it's a slow day, it's a slow day. If it's a fast day, it's a fast day. But having it's our having that flexibility and the flow going. So yeah, there's, like, so, so there's co- the full core yeah. ritual. So it's meal times, nappy change, sleep, and sunscreen and mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. 
So we go in each all of in all of those four. Um, we have like a list of things that we like to do. So music's on in the dining room. The lights are low. Mm. They have they self serve. They scrape their own plates. They are taken through and like they wash their hands and everything's written out. Like the team have created this list of things that go into a meal time at Dripstone. And same with nappies. Like you approach them from the front and if you're taking them away from their play you're bringing them back because it's just that respect of what they're doing is important Mm. it's not my Mm. thing's more important because I need to change your nappy and tick a box it's taking our time to change it and engaging with them like looking into the child's eye when you're changing (laughs) their nappy not just it's another child you don't Mm. even know who you're changing and going through you know because what I'm hearing you say is around not hurrying children yeah you know not hurrying things tell Mm. me about because I I want to um I I, this is something when you said this to me Georgia and and it really is I guess one of those reasons why you really started to think deeply about what you were doing Mm. and it was something about um hurry up and wait back before we made these marvelous changes and like there was a director change they got assessed and rated and one of the feedback was hurry up kids like they've observed the educators doing it but the children were told to hurry up get your hats on sunscreen water bottles now wait at the gate until we move out or hurry up to like wash your hands now wait until we get lunch on the table like it was just that it was quoted in Mm. our feedback Mm. (laughs) hurry up and wait and so we've just had A&R again for this year in Mm. 2022 and it went brilliantly they said we're so congruent with our values and our ethos and our everything that we say that we do we do because that's in itself so if we approach a child who's busy playing while there's meal time happening um if you go around you will hear kids um but most of the preschool they'll be like five minutes please give me more five minutes and they actually will when you come back after five minutes and they will like, all right, start, and they'll stand up and take themselves, wash mm. their hands mm. and go in mealtime. So they, they, um, they just, yeah, they surprised me. Well, they're negotiating. They're yeah. the social skills that you're modeling. They're yeah. empowered. Yeah. They're empowered well. as well. What you do with your time is important and we respect that. Yeah. But they're also taking on board some of those, yeah. um, you know, you're modeling those skills, aren't you? That this yeah. is how you negotiate. The terms of if I listen to you then you listen to like that kind of way yeah. like you know mm. so yeah mm. like I'm surprised that lots of the big kids do that they'll be like give me five minutes Miss Pat and I'm like okay <laughs> you have your five minutes I'll go and I come back and tell you when you're five um come back and um let you know that your five minutes is up mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and when I um when I come back and I um so five minutes off, like, okay. So they take themselves, Just wash their hands. that preparation yeah. as well to like, oh, I know mm. what's coming now and so I know children, I'm getting ready. Children are more willing to cooperate when we've negotiated yeah. um, the the terms yeah. and there's an agreement yeah. around it. And it's also something that you use quite regularly so they know that they can trust. And trust is important, mm, yes. isn't it? Okay. The, the rules don't suddenly change without consultation with me. And I think that's a great thing. So so what, in terms of your, um, if you thought back to your pre-service development, so when you were at uni mm-hmm. and you think now, because we've had a little bit of a background yeah. conversation about this, um, what were the sorts of, I guess, theoretical perspectives that really helped shape 
um, what you now have, which I'm hearing, is some really strong yeah. um, philosophical beliefs and pedagogy, approaches to your own pedagogy. What informed that? Um, so the biggest one with the integrated ages is Vygotsky's zone of proximal development, mm-hmm. um, where mm-hmm. the children learn from more experienced peer, or what they mm-hmm. can do by themselves with more experienced peer, and then what's out of their capabilities. Um, like Dewey's learning through experiences and play, like that's our biggest thing for children, just them being and learning and having that trial and error and uninterrupted play to just figure things out for themselves. Mm-hmm. We touch on Maslow's hierarchy of needs in the Phoenix Cups, which obviously is massive at Dripstone because it's the framework we use to understand children's behaviour mm-hmm. is communication. Mm-hmm. We touch on the attachment theory and children's circle of security and that attunement with them as well. Um, I feel like from uni, you read them all, but it's not until you really embed them and look at your practices and the why behind them that it all interlinks. Mm. Yeah, mm. I know, because I know when we spoke about this in, in getting ready for uh, to record the podcast, it was something that you said to me that, you know, you <laughs> really had to think about, um, you know, what was it from the, those years at yeah. uni that actually, you know, because now you just do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's your philosophy. You're incredibly confident and capable. Yeah. But it was about reflecting back on some of those earlier sort of grounding theories. Yeah. And it's important messages, um, I think, for for anyone who's, you know, um, engaged in their pre-service development as a teacher to understand the sorts of or, or the contribution that theory um, contributes to who to who we become as teachers combined with our own life experiences, combined with our own kind of core values and beliefs. Mm -hmm. And as teachers, that's what we need to do is to really understand um, all those different um, elements that contribute to who we are as teachers and how that then is enacted um, Mm. in our practices and our our approaches with children. And then grasping all of those Mm. um, pedagogies, Mm. you know, that are there because there's many in there so it's sort of like how you it's almost um yeah I have to think about how to kind of really conceptualize that um and 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 I guess for centers what they do is they have that embedded in terms of their philosophy isn't it this is what we do and this is why we do it yeah um and this is why we think it's really important for children yeah yeah so if there's anybody out there that's listening to this today if you have an opportunity to visit um Georgia and um, Patricia at Dripstone, I would encourage you to go and have a look what they're doing. Absolutely. Um, it's a beautiful environment and children are not caged in rooms by gates. <laughs> uh, it's, it is a very free-flowing. And when you spoke about the river and I guess the biggest fear for people when they're changing their practices is that, that it, it doesn't, there's chaos mm-hmm. um, opposed from being calm and really attuned and and hearing you today, you've really helped me move away from, I guess, um, the fears and anxieties that we often have when we start to change the way that we do things yeah. and we move away from those really big, um, you know, ways that we've always done things. And I'm probably certain that if we, you know, if we did some research and we found that majority of <laughs> early childhood settings are grouped according to ages. Yeah. And you've questioned that and you've moved away from that. 
And it sounds like it's it's had great benefits for all of your own growth as well as the children and the yeah. families, which is great. I think too it's it's really brave to do that. And mm. it's also I think a really good message for people who are already working in the sector um, to closely analyse the regulations and the national quality standards uh, and and interpret them in a way that is always about your why. And I think that's a great, what you said was really important, isn't it? Because it is about, you know, this is what we want to do. How can we make that work within our... um, within the requirements because there are I mean it's legislation you are required to do that it's part Mm -hmm. of your your license to operate Um, but in saying that you've made it work for you instead of letting those regulations um, serve as a barrier to the things that you wanted to achieve yeah 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 is there anything else that you wanted to add today Not really. Going into a centre, ask all the questions, question everything. If it doesn't have a solid why behind it, you have the freedom to go forth and change in alignment to the centre because every centre is different. This may not Mm. work for your centre based on the context, but at least just question everything. (laughs) Yeah, and it's that's really good advice. And I think personally, you're incredibly brave. Uh, it's hard work to make that type of change yeah. because there are so many arms to that. There's the, you know, and you're very child focused and I could hear it all the way through our conversation around, you know, really being attuned to children and having individual rituals, which, you know, but that, that requires the development of skills and knowledge and attitudes in your team. And I know for personally being, you know, a director for, for many years that that's hard too, yeah. to bring everybody on board. I think the thing that I, I, I've learned today is the same approaches that we do with children in terms of being responsive, um, attuned, um, respectful, understanding children's capabilities and agency and, and their sense of agency, that we also convey that to our team mm-hmm. and that together it creates that. And I think that kind of captures your one drip stone. Yeah, you know who the we drip are. Stone way. The dripstone way. way. That's it. Not the one dripstone, but the dripstone <laughs> way. Yeah, and that really captures it, doesn't it? So, yeah, thank you both for for coming in and chatting with me today. I'm incredibly grateful for your time away from um, your beautiful setting, um, and I look forward to an invitation for the next beach walk. Yes, I am very eager to see children um, taking some risks on the big. Um, the big rocks down in Casarina and for those people who are listening to us down south um, maybe we might even see a crocodile which would be incredibly exciting so thank you both bye for thank now you, thank you <laughs>